Miss Ashona worries on point in on the podcast. Parents are being warned to prepare for yet another school shutdown. The unions are demanding a longer spring break. Why shutting schools down should be a last re- resort, and we'll talk about the data that backs that up. We'll talk about this report released today by the WHO on where COVID started, but it was written and controlled by China. So why on earth would we trust it? And we'll talk about a doctor now facing murder charges in connection to a COVID patient and that there could be more cases being investigated. What would drive someone who gets a job trying to save lives then want to take them? We'll talk about that profile. Let's get talking. Your point. You just don't ever get the point. By getting through to you, that's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. I'm extremely concerned on the situation that we're seeing and the, the numbers going up. I'm also very concerned about seeing the age group, the younger people now uh, in ICUs. Uh, everything's on the table right now. So, folks, be prepared. I'm asking you, don't make plans for Easter. That's what I can I can tell you. Uh, I, I won't hesitate uh, to to you know lock things down if we have to. I did it before. I'll do it again. Yeah, and again and again and again. As the world opens up, we lock down because we have no vaccines. But yeah, we're going into this thing again. Very few details, but no question. I think it's safe to say that we're staring down the barrel of yet a third lockdown. Although if you have been in, you know, Toronto and the GTA, you've pretty much been in lockdown since November 23rd. And uh, Premier Ford was pushed today to, you know, give details. What are we looking at? What would this restriction be like? You know, stricter than the last two? When might it happen? And uh, the Premier just saying, we'll know more by the end of the week. But no question, uh, today the key message is that if you're planning to party up this long weekend, don't bother. And uh, the Prime Minister finally left his cottage to tell us about it. Again this year, we won't have the kinds of celebrations we were all hoping for because we just can't afford to let our guard down. I know I've said the same thing before every major holiday over the past year, but this time what's different is that even if the end of the pandemic is in sight, the variants mean the situation is even more serious. We're entering the final stretch of this crisis. We just need to stay strong a little longer. Yeah, where have we heard that before? Just a little bit longer. Just one more time. We're in the final stretch. Yes, sorry. I do not buy anything that guy sells. I mean, I never did, obviously. Um, But I just don't buy this, you know, just a longer spiel from any of these guys. I I bet most of you don't buy these claims that it's almost over because our trust has been broken far too many times at this point. And in in a crisis, you need trust. You know, you certainly need leadership. And we just haven't been getting that. And if you're a parent with a kid in school, then you probably got the email this morning, uh, certainly in the Toronto board we did, warning us to prepare, prepare for school closures and going back to e-learning. And um, I'm reading between the lines on this one because we have to. You know, sure, we're going to get that spring break, but the unions are now demanding it be an extended break. And you need only look back to history at what happened at Christmas to see where this thing is going. You know, they'll delay return, and then all of a sudden it'll be eight, nine weeks, ten weeks at home learning again. And I'm sorry, but that that has to be a last resort, and I don't think it is. And there are ways to avoid this. 
And I, I look at it and I say, if there's a will, there will be a way. But it doesn't even seem like anyone anymore is looking for a way. I mean, why would we lock down schools if there haven't been outbreaks or a community spread in all of them? Why would we risk crushing all the kids in this province again if the cases reported so far have been minimal? I mean, remember, there are 2 million kids that go to school in this province. And I was looking at some new data and it reveals uh, 784 kids 19 and under have been hospitalized with COVID out of 157,000 documented cases. That, that is a small number. And that 157,000 number, that number also includes misdiagnosed cases. So it's even lower. And also the data shows that kids are not getting seriously ill and they are not causing spread of COVID in home or at school. So I kind of look at this and say, why aren't we coming up with better solutions that are going to protect the masses of our kids while targeting the actual problems? You know, instead of closing schools again or even thinking about it, why are we not, like, I haven't even heard anyone talking about this, but why are we not rushing to get, you know, teachers vaccinated now? That way, if we do it now, they will be protected after the break. And then there won't be need for this conversation of shutting down. But that it isn't even a conversation tells me it's not even be looked at right now as a solution. But of course, that is a constant theme of this pandemic. We are reactive, never proactive. And people will say, no, 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 we have to get the older, more vulnerable populations, you know, you know, vaccinated. Fine. Yes, we do. But if keeping schools open means getting teachers vaccinated, get them in line and get it done. And we're just not even talking about it. I can only speak to what's going on in my house, but my son is super anxious about what's going on. And he hates COVID. And no matter what I say, he's just convinced it's never going to end, ever. He's scared the schools will close. He's frustrated his birthday. He can't have another birthday party this year, the second one. Can't play with his friends. And I know I'm not alone as a parent when I say that the damage of another lockdown is going to kids, cause kids a lot of a damage. And a report out of Mental Health Ontario says that in the first wave, one in three children reported mental health issues due to isolation. So think about how much worse it is now that we're in wave three. We haven't had that data yet. So there's no question it's going to be worse. And frankly, you know, I don't even think it matters if we do our part anymore. Because the politicians aren't doing theirs. And we seem to be just locked into this cycle of failure. Because the key to our freedom, as we all know, are vaccines we can't get. And sure, Trudeau came out of his cottage again, talking about millions of vaccines that are on their way. And then you read the fine print. They're coming in June. That's months away. We need them now. So no, this isn't the final stretch. We're like being lapped over and over again. And the CDC's warning, the U.S. is now heading into a fourth wave, except, um, and they're calling it pending doom, impending doom. But the majority of that country will be vaccinated by July. So what does that mean for us if we hit a, a fourth wave? I mean, we only have four million people in Canada who have gotten one shot. So that's two million vaccinated out of 39 million people. That is pathetic. So I don't worry about the fourth wave because it looks like we're going to have about 20 at this point at the rate we are going. And so when those in charge tell us, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, I mean, why, 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 who can believe them? 
more importantly, why do we let them get away with constant failure? You know, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and hoping for a different result. And that's all our leaders do. They have failed to lead since day one. And yet no one gets fired. No one gets replaced. We just trust that those in charge will trust their experts who keep getting it wrong because all they're worried about, they're so worried about us dying that they no longer allow us to live. And we allow it. We just accept it because we live in a country that wears mediocrity like a badge of honor now. It's just crazy to me. We get excited that we might get vaccinated by September. Yay! What's to celebrate? Other countries, Israel's vaccinated. The U.S. will be up and running by uh, July 4th weekend. We'll be happy here in Canada if we all get one vaccination by September. That's amazing. We just kind of give up. We give up another holiday with loved ones, endure just another lockdown. We accept failure because, well, you know, those in charge, they're doing their best, right? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> there have just been way too many failures, you know, to make me uh, feel kind of all in on yet another lockdown. All in this together. Oh, yeah, hell we are. Um, you know, MPs are giving themselves a raise starting April 1st. No, I'm not joking. Got millions of people losing jobs heading into another lockdown. MPs, you know, cons liberal MPs who have screwed up every step of the way, and they're going to give themselves a pay raise. It's not a big one, but they don't deserve it. On point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. Good news is we are getting our spring break, and um, not surprisingly, now the unions are demanding an extended break. And remember, history teaches us from Christmas that that extended break uh, never seemed to end. And now uh, this morning when I went to pick up my, or take my little guy to school, the TDS uh, sent out an email warning parents, be prepared for homeschooling, e-learning, in case we go into another lockdown. Not that there is going to be one, but just be prepared. So I'm reading between the lines. And there have been very few cases in school. I think more importantly, the cases reported in schools are not being brought around the schools and community spread. It's being brought in from the outside. That's good news. Community spread is what we really need to worry about. So my question has become, you know, instead of looking at locking down and turning first to e-learning, why are we not getting teachers vaccinated right now so that in two or three weeks they are ready to go when kids get back. And why are we not using a targeted approach instead of a blanket shutdown policy that would further hurt millions of kids? We don't need to shut down all schools if only a few are affected. Nonetheless, we seem to only have one strategy. Dr. Martha Fulford is, a, Fulford is an infectious disease physician and associate professor at medicine at McMaster University, and she joins us now. Good to have you, Dr. Fulford. Thank you for inviting me. Um, your thoughts on this newest measure, because once the, the schools start warning, I mean, it, you have to read between the lines that the message is sent. I, I was very troubled when I heard this. We're a year into this and pandemic or in the situation where we have a pandemic, the goal of our government and a public health, of course, should be to prevent the most harm to the most members of our society, that should be our goal. Clearly, part of that goal is, preser is pre preserving healthcare capacity, but that's not at the expense of other vulnerable populations. And a year into this, the very idea that our children are yet again going to pay the price for a virus that does not make them sick uh, is really quite shocking to me because 
while COVID affects our seniors and we clearly need to pay attention to, to, to COVID, we, we also have to pay attention to the health and well-being of our children. And when we close down schools, that's not just an interrupted education. That's a huge mental burden on that child. It's an interrupted education, which actually has an impact on their entire future. We are seeing increasing obesity rates in children because of lack of activity, increased screen time, lack of access to sports. We're seeing huge problems with with mental health, other mental health issues. This has been in the news. We've seen eating disorders skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. We've seen mental health calls. Uh, We're seeing increasing severe child abuse, but fewer calls to child abuse lines because, of course, when you lock people down, some of them are locked into very, very dangerous situations. And schools are one of the means by which we can monitor this. And so when we think of how we approach a pandemic, it has to look at total harm minimization. And one of the groups that should be a priority for their health and well-being as our children. That is the future of our province. It's the future of our country. And under no circumstances should our children be collateral damage to our approach. They should be front and center in looking after the health and well-being. And that means that schools should simply not be considered for closure. And you, you mentioned this in your, in, your, in your introduction. We're not seeing a lot of transmission from school, uh, within schools. This has been studied over and over again. They are reflectors of what's going on in the communities. They're not amplifiers. And this is a huge misunderstanding. Children are not responsible for this. They need to be stopped being blamed for this. And we need to start to put their needs front and center along with the needs of other uh, segments of our society. Yeah, the the instability. I mean, I, I can only speak to my own situation for what other parents tell me about their situation. Yeah. And my child's in elementary school, but the anxiety just in the last couple of weeks has really kicked up. I've seen behavior that I've never seen before. I mean, he's crying almost every night now, fearing he's going to die, fearing COVID. He's missing another birthday. Um, and, and the thought of school shutting down, um, I think for a lot of parents, certainly yeah. the younger kids, is, is worrying because there has been so much instability not to mention education lost. And so I just think this should be a very last resort. I I totally agree. The other thing is I think we should be very clear on the messaging that that children are getting. Children are not dying of COVID. This is simply not right. Anybody can look up these numbers. Public Health Agency of Canada has an update every day. Ontario has an update every day. This is a virus that does not have a particularly significant impact on young people. It has a very significant impact on, on older and particularly frail seniors. And, and clearly, that's another part of our society that we, we're protecting. And it's one of the reasons, of course, we're doing this. But it should not be at the expense of the mental health of our children. And, and children. But when these not, kids see people in, um, you know, hazmat suits every day or double masked, I, I mean, they're started, they look at this. I mean, it's certainly not coming from me because I tell them all the time, you're lucky, you're fine. But my, his mother's in the news business, so he hears the press conferences now. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, when these kids are surrounded by this constant masking and that, it gets in their head of, of you know, what's going on here. Yeah. And I mean, one of the good things about uh, seasonality here is we're coming into good weather. We know that transmission outdoors is essentially zero uh, so that we can have a lot more time outdoors. We should be actually actively encouraging people to be playing and spending time outdoors. 
because that's a situation where you simply don't have to mask. You have to you you have to be uh, one can be a lot less concerned about transmission. And instead of constantly shutting down and constantly threatening our children, we should be cherishing them. We should be saying, "You guys are going to be okay." We should be showing them what they can do. We should be emphasizing safe activities. We should. Instead of of constantly hammering them for something that is simply not their fault and that they are not the main transmitters of, uh, the the message should be exactly the it should be the exact opposite. There uh, is and, um. And the, d- go ahead. No, I was just going to say the very idea that we would you know contemplate reclosing schools uh, at the expense of the health and well-being of our children is simply wrong. Our job as physicians, our job uh, in public health, our job, our government's job, is to prevent the most, is, is total harmonization. We need to look at every segment of society, every vulnerable group, including our children, and look at their specific needs and do what's best for that group. I am, there, it is inconceivable to me that we are not capable of looking after the health and well-being of our children as well as looking at healthcare capacity. And if, if we're starting to see surges, Already, the government's looking at ways of expanding that capacity. We need to look at exactly what you said at the beginning. Where is transmission happening? Target our interventions there because the transmission's not even. It is clearly in areas where we have, you know, uh, very crowded workplaces. It's in the areas where we have the, the warehouses. We know this. That's where we target interventions. That's where we, we, we focus our attention. And we don't shut every aspect of our society down. And in particular, we don't penalize our children. But as you know, education in this province is very, very political. And um, and unfortunately, it seems to kind of take over um, you know, every issue, including uh, the pandemic. And, and there was one thing. You, you sent me a letter that you and your colleagues um, are sending to the province, urging mm-hmm. them not to yeah, shut we, down we, schools. We but, sent but, it this afternoon. Yeah. Right. And I'll I'll get to the letter in just a second. But some of the the data that you have found, wave one um, yields that one in three children um, suffered mental illness, mostly from the isolation. Have we got the data to know what wave two, um, you know, has done? Because that was an even longer stretch of of homeschooling. We, We don't. And it's one of the things I found very frustrating is because a lot of us have been flagging this with physicians like me who are on the ground face-to-face with, with children. a lot of my colleagues. And in fact, you'll see there are well over 200 physicians that have signed this letter. We're mm-hmm. seeing this every day in our clinical work. Mm-hmm. But unless somebody pays attention and says, actually, this is for real, we need to study this systematically, it's very difficult to get the numbers. So now my hospital at McMaster, we did actually do a four-month review, uh, and we actually found three times as many children had been admitted for a significant uh, suicide attempt over a four-month period. Mm. Uh, we had a, a doubling of uh, young ch- of, of youth admitted with substance abuse, and particularly opioids. This is in a four-month period, um, October to uh, January. So it's just one hospital. But this kind of, of, if we're seeing this and we study this at our hospital, this should, this should be a huge red flag. And this yeah. should be systematically studied. This should not be somehow dismissed as, well, that's just one hospital. Uh, and the, the, the anecdotes are adding up to the point where, I, I mean, you've described it with your child. It, it's, it is huge harm we're doing to our children, and it is not okay. They must be treated as a unique group that require their own unique policies and, and 
they simply cannot be collateral damage to our, our you know, one of our goals, which is to, uh, to maintain healthcare capacity. Yeah. In other words, just because those in charge couldn't get their act together, it should not come at the suffering of those who had nothing to do with it. But nonetheless, you have sent this letter to the province signed by 200 mm-hmm. um, doctors. Um, what kind of uh, reaction have you gotten and what do you expect? Well, we haven't heard. I mean, we we, we sent it this afternoon. Uh, I, I haven't. I'm one of the the sort of signatories. Uh, I haven't heard an official response yet, but we just sent it this afternoon. But it, it's a bit of a preemptive letter uh, because you know, the fact that anybody would even contemplate discussing this, or as you say, even sending that we might be doing this, is is. I mean, it was shocking to me that this was yet again on the table, and we thought we have to remember that it is, it is harmful. So if, if our objective in society uh, is to maintain the health and well-being of our society, you don't then do a policy that preferentially harms a very vulnerable group, and that's our youth and our children. So, so no yeah. policy, no measure that we put in should cause more harm than good. And a measure like, like preventing our children uh, from accessing education causes harm. And that is not okay. Yeah. And mental illnesses don't just go away once uh, we no, get back they to don't. normal. They, they become a lifelong and, uh, consequence. So, and Particularly actually in, uh, in young people, because that is a time yeah. where the brain is still more um, sort of being molded and formed. The, mm-hmm. uh, and, and in young children, I mean, there are a lot of other issues. There's social anxieties, there are fears, mm-hmm. uh, that ability to have interactions, to form friendships, to form relationships, mm-hmm. to work in teams, the discipline from sports, the discipline from music, but also that ability uh, as children become teenagers, become adults, to gain independence, to explore the environment, to become full-functioning full adults is, is part of what we learn when we go to school, part of what we learn when we're allowed out and when we participate in extracurricular activities. And, and it, it's, I don't, it's too early to know what the impact of that will be, but it's going to be very, very large. And, and yeah. planning ahead, I actually think the province should be putting a massive amount of money into education, knowing that, that we're going to have a lot of catch-up. There's another group of children that actually isn't even mentioned. Here we're talking about school closures. Every time we do this, we lose children. Yeah. We're just now lost yeah. to the education system. And the estimates in Canada are that we have between 100 and 200,000 children who are now just gone from the school system. Because what Jeez. was holding them there was their access to their friends. It might have been the sports. It might have been the music. But when you suddenly have none of that, you live in a crowded situation, you maybe don't have great access to Internet, you're trying to sort of compete for bandwidth, you may be living in a small yeah. apartment where it's difficult to do online learning, we're losing kids. And that's their entire future. And, so yeah. every and, time and, and it's generally the lower, made, the lower yeah. income bracket. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it, exacerbates, yeah. it exacerbates all of that. Doctor, we will have you on and we'll continue this conversation because I am adamantly opposed to shutting schools again because uh, uh, I, I see the damage. Well, so, and, I. Um, so I appreciate it. Yeah. You, you may have gathered that. I am not amazed. Yes, I, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm glad you're speaking out as well as the others. So we'll see where yeah. your letter takes us. And uh, I appreciate your talking to me. And thank you very much for inviting me. That is Dr. Martha Fulford out of a McMaster University. And so we'll see what happens. I know Stephen Lecce does not want to close schools. I just hope that that is not talk because, frankly... I don't see there's any excuse as to why we need to go this route again. Not this far in, not again. Here on Point on Global News Radio.
question is, will we ever know the truth of where COVID-19 came from? Likely not. We get the report today, which was put together by the WHO and China, which I know, try not to laugh, but they teamed up to look into the origins of COVID-19. And leaked findings suggest that transmission came from bats and then spread to humans through other animal sources and not from a lab uh, leak, which has been a leading theory. But really, I mean, how do we trust this study given the WHO went in months after the virus outbreak happened? China strictly controlled all the research they were allowed to do. They didn't allow anyone to look into the lab records or interview scientists, um, including, you know, those who died. Um, They couldn't talk to them, obviously. And China has made very clear from the start they won't be blamed for this crisis. We also know China lied from the start of this pandemic. So Why should we even take this report seriously? Christian Luprecht is an expert on security and defense, teaching at the Royal Military College, Queen's University. He's also a senior fellow at McDonald Laurier Institute and professor. Um, How serious do you take this study? Oh, I think we need to take it very seriously because there's a whole lot of things that we can learn from it. The beginning, the first of it is, of course, that China appears to be taking no responsibility. The second is that China uses multilateral institutions to reinforce the narrative that it wants to send. As you pointed out, Mm -hmm. they controlled the data, they controlled the methods, and they worked really, really hard at making sure that they controlled the conclusions. And so this is why both the report and what was said around the report, even by the director of the World Health organization himself on the release of the report is quite telling because you could tell in the in in the voice of the director and the words that he used that he was clearly frustrated with the outcome but these are multilateral institutions and they work on a consensus basis and so i think what is reflected here is probably as close as we could get based on the methods and based on the data available yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw the 60 Minutes on Sunday um, where they were talking about the investigation and how it unfolded. I mean, they didn't get into the lab. They didn't really talk or see records or data showing initial, um, you know, outbreaks, who was getting it. They, you know, were never, there were never any farms uh, where these uh, said uh, animals that were sick, that were being set to the wet markets. There were no outbreaks there. It just, we're all supposed to believe that it's just uh, something happened in the wet markets. That's what happened, and away we go. Yeah, I was teaching to the test, right? So here's the data yeah. we're going to give you to try to manipulate as best as we can the conclusions that you're supposed to reach. As you pointed out, with regards to the mm-hmm. lab theory, uh, there was no access to any documentation within the lab. All they were allowed to do is interview two employees of the lab, Um, While they were in China meeting with the Chinese delegation, there were always 30 to 60 people um, in the room in addition to the 17 Chinese scientists. So China had set up this inquiry with 17 Chinese scientists and 17 international scientists so that uh, they couldn't be outvoted. But in the room, the majority of the people were people who have no scientific or healthcare background. So they were clearly there to ensure political pressure and watching the Chinese scientists to make sure that they would only say uh, what they were supposedly allowed to say. We know to this day that, for instance, 47 of the initial cases in China were not traced to the Hunan market. So where Mm. then exactly did the virus come from? And the Secretary General of the World Health Organization himself pointed out that um, you know, it's 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 probable that uh, initial cases might be uh, might have been circulating as early as October. And he also yeah. pointed out that, as far as he is concerned, 
all hypotheses remain on the table and all hypotheses remain in play, you would have to think that the Chinese would not be particularly pleased uh, with some of the remarks by him around this report. And so I think it's, it's meant to signal to the world uh, to be very cautious about the conclusions and the inferences that the report draws. Right. But we're, you know, we're heading into our third lockdown. I mean, it's no secret that, um, you know, it's clearly coming our way. Uh, U.S. CDC is, is reporting impending doom of a fourth wave that they're heading into, and they've got vaccinations at this point. Um, and so I think there's a lot of anger, uh, Christian. Uh, certainly, I feel the anger of accountability. And will we ever see it? And what can the international community and what will the international community actually do to hold China to account? Because these uh, SARS or coronavirus viruses are an actual thing, and lab accidents do happen. But we know China lied about it. So even if it was accidental, they lied about it and made this much, much worse than it had to be. And I think a lot of people are saying there's got to be a price paid, um, because who's to say this is not going to happen again? Yeah, and I think that's the right way to look at it. You know, we can always kind of talk about the past and we can kind of try to blame and so forth. But really, these studies, these after action reports need to about the future and making sure we don't make the same mistakes again. And here, of course, there's absolutely no sign of contrition on the part of China. There's no indication that China is prepared to crack down on the wet markets, on the animal trade, of course, because it's tied in often into both Chinese culture and some of Chinese mysticism. Um, there's no indication that uh, China is going to be more forthcoming uh, with data or with health intelligence information for the international community if this happens again. And so I think the mm-hmm. inference that the international community needs to take away from this is not to make again the mistake that we made in Canada, where for months, of course, we relied on information intelligence from the World Health Organization, which we know has been captured by China since the 1950s. So this is nothing new. And that we need to be more self-sufficient, both on our own and with our allies. And this is why the Auditor General's report that we got on the yeah. failures of the Public Health uh, Agency of Canada is absolutely critical because we need to fix these problems because clearly if we can't rely on China, we can't rely on the World Health Organization, we need to rely on those institutions we have in Canada that we stood up precisely to be there for us to be able to avert the sort of biosecurity disaster that we in Canada and the world is living through. And let me remind you, Alex, 2.8 million dead and no contrition and no accountability from China. Yeah, and and Dr. Tam in 2006, I mean, she was a big part of the aftermath of SARS and putting together a preparedness, um, um, you know, study on how to be ready for the next pandemic. And she was caught so flat-footed in this pandemic. And it's very clear, as you state from that Auditor General report, that there were major mistakes made by this government. You can put blame on the Harper government, um, which started the gutting of public health, but this government in charge now didn't fix it. And then in the beginning of this thing, they were so blind blind and naive, you know, trusting China, that this, um, I think a lot of people will say, well, well, so what now? We're in it now. But we need to learn from this so it never happens again. And there should be accountability. And we don't even, we don't even have accountability in our own country for those in charge, many of whom should have been fired by now. Yeah, of course, Tina Namiesnowski did have to leave her post um, after sort of the initial audit of the agency. And I think Dr. Well, she got another China- job. She failed upwards. Like, yeah, well, I'd, love to, I'd love to fail the way she did. One of the ironies about our public service, right? People fail upwards. Yes, I mean, that's mm-hmm. a whole separate conversation you and I can have about how our public service works. The, yeah. uh, the, the challenge I think that Dr. Tam had is, you know, you go to war with the army you have, mm-hmm. not the army you want. I think she was handed a dog's breakfast yeah. in that agency, and she did her best 
uh, with what she had at her disposal. But the problem is, of course, you can't fix these types of bureaucratic entities and agencies in a matter of days or in a matter of weeks or even in a matter of months. And I think this is, again, where I also, to some extent, lay the blame at the foot of the minister. This is a government where Mm -hmm. ultimately the minister, under our system of government, responsible government in Canada, the basic founding constitutional principle, means ministerial responsibility, that ministers need to take responsibility and are ultimately responsible for the agencies, departments, and ministries that report to them. And whether we look at national defense or whether we look at this particular situation with public health, ministers aren't taking responsibility. They need to step up. They need to say the people under my command failed Canadians and failed Canada. I'm taking responsibility and here's my plan to fix it. And that's what I'm waiting for for them from the minister and from the government, because that's ultimately what our constitutional principle calls for. Yeah, and we're we're not getting that accountability, and um, and that's why you know, Christian, we have so much distrust right now. People are exhausted; they're being asked to sacrifice a lot, and I just think, frankly, Canadians are saying, you know, pardon the pun, you know, up yours. I just don't trust you anymore. And I think this is really very, very unfortunate because it furthers the mistrust that people have in public institutions that, of course, has escalated as a result of the pandemic. And so it plays into the misinformation that our adversaries are propagating on social media and elsewhere, because if we can't have governments who themselves take responsibility for their own institutions, then clearly we can't expect Canadians to actually trust the government or trust those institutions. Talk about impending doom. We are heading for it. All right. Thank you so much, Professor. Always appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you. That is uh, Professor Christian Luprecht joining us here. Stay with us here. Alex Pearson on point. This is Global News Radio. This is a really interesting headline and certainly a headline I think that is going to get bigger. Uh, But there's a doctor in Hawkesbury, Ontario, now charged with first degree murder in connection to the death of a patient who had COVID. And now police are looking into as many as five more COVID patients to see if their deaths may be connected to suspicious activity or the alleged actions of this doctor. And uh, police are keeping pretty tight-lipped on details, but what we have you know, f- found out or revealed by, uh, revealed by them is that the deaths under investigation were all COVID-19 patients who died during a recent outbreak at that ho- a hospital he was working at and the medications given to them, and that it was a staff member, a whistleblower, who would alert police to something that they felt was suspicious. So a lot of uh, questions kind of pop up, and one of them would be, you know, when someone goes into the business of saving lives, why then would they turn around and possibly end one? Jim Van Allen is a certified criminal profile as well as a threat assessment specialist. He joins us now. Good to have you back, Jim. Uh, Thank you, Alex. All right. So I don't know if you've looked into this guy or, um, you know, there's social media presence of this guy. You know, there's pictures of him. Um, he's certainly not new to um, kind of social media. He's also not new to police. Uh, so he had put out a tweet or something on, on social media just recently saying, I'm a frontline physician in Canada requesting you and everyone you can tell to spread, to tell your fans and followers to self-isolate immediately. We don't have enough ventilators for even the young and healthy. And the assigned Dr. Nadler. What do you make of this story? What does it tell you off the top? Well, it's it's certainly an investigation, a complex and major investigation in its uh, infancy. It's going to be very large, very detailed, and very thorough. It's going to involve uh, uh, multiple agencies, including the uh, OPP coroner's office, uh, uh, chief pathologist, uh, 
Center of Forensic Sciences and College of Physicians and uh, Surgeons and the hospital itself. Um, you know, multiple uh, cases that are being looked at as suspicious right now. So this is this is very large. Uh, and they're going to be applying a, a ton of resources uh, uh, towards it, too. Um, the concept of healthcare provider murders is not a new one. Not, it's not even new in Ontario. We, we've heard of these before. Um, allegations at Sick Kids Hospital recent mm -hmm. uh, with, within the last few years. Uh, cases in southwestern Ontario by a nurse. Uh, internationally, there's thousands of uh, patients that are attributed to convictions of uh, uh, murders by healthcare professionals. Yeah, certainly Elizabeth Wetlawfer comes to mind. And when they started looking into that suspicious activity, I mean, the numbers just, you know, I don't, we just, I don't even think they scratched the surface in, in how many people she was connected to. And it's interesting because uh, he had, um, back in 2018, there were two counts of unprofessional conduct by the Providence College of Physicians and Surgeons for comments that he made in connection with a quarrel that uh, had, was had apparently with another doctor and with making improper notes on a patient's chart. So when you look at a case like this, does that mean? now they have to go through every single patient he would have treated to see if there was anything suspicious? Well, they're probably going to go back uh, further than this uh, recent group in um, uh, Hawkesbury. They always do. Uh, this is his field of study. They're probably going to be going through and doing a, an, in, uh, an assessment of characteristics um, a semi-deep dive into the uh, healthcare uh, histories and circumstances surrounding the deaths of some of these people. Um, it's, it's interesting that uh, COVID virus, COVID-19, uh, is at play in this particular group, though. Why? Well, um, I, uh, certainly for everybody, uh, it, it, it adds an extra dimension of stress. Yeah. It, uh, you know, for healthcare professionals, uh, hospitals, uh, patients, patients' families, the public in general, everybody's ramped up a bit. And we can see the uh, impact of stress from COVID uh, infections on uh, cases such as domestic violence. We're seeing it in our uh, threat assessment work. We're seeing it in um, conspiracy theorists. Uh, and and the divisiveness that results in that. So stress is a big thing in the commission of crimes um, that could uh, in some way come to play in these cases as well. Yeah, that's interesting because we have heard there's a lot of stress right now. There's a lot of burnout on the front lines. And so um, who knows what the uh, mental state of this person would be, but certainly that will also play a factor. Well, they're going to be looking at that. They're going to be looking at uh, competence, licensure, um, uh, other uh, cases uh, he's treated, uh, information from other physicians and experts and uh, other healthcare professionals that were on duty at the time that uh, uh, you made reference to whistleblower. Obviously, they're talking mm -hmm. to other uh, employees at the hospital. Uh, very, very thorough examination of uh, treatment records is going to uh, occur and uh, luckily, in a hospital, the um, level of the documentation is often quite good, and that assists 
part of the investigation. There's there's upsides and downsides to investigating this type of uh, allegation. Yeah, and not to quite, not to mention the um, the families. Uh, there'll be an awful lot of families who may have crossed paths with the accused and say, "Well, can you look into this case for my family?" And and it's very personal if you've lost a loved one, and and if you think or even suspect that there may have been something underhanded done, then the police have to go through all the emotion and and kind of compartmentalize and see which ones actually have merit and which ones don't. So it's it can get very very tricky. Yeah, the um, uh, victim uh, family support is going to be a huge component of this as well, just due to the the numbers and the nature of the allegations, uh, if this were to uh, uh, be validated. Yeah, they're looking at uh, five other cases now, plus the one charge of uh, first degree. So in the end, do you think that this is going to be a months-long investigation? Oh, I think this is going to be longer. I, I think there's going to be significant updates within a month, but um, you know, there's there. This could involve uh, uh, you know uh, toxicology, which uh, might take some time to get back. It it could right. require uh, postmortems, depending on the recency of uh, some of the deaths. Um, uh, there's going to be case consultation with uh, experts and. Uh, this is going to take time. Obviously, um, you know, there's a man in custody and he deserves a um, <clears throat> an expedient um, uh, disclosure of information and, and his lawyer. So um, the next court is April 6th. So, yes, you're, you're going to have a, a lot of things happening behind the scenes to get disclosure ready for the lawyer on uh, April 6th. Yeah, well, it's a fascinating case. And, yeah. yeah, well, it's a fascinating case. So we'll uh, keep an eye on it and see where the uh, the headlines take us. Jim, appreciate your time always. Uh, you're very welcome. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Jim Van Allen joining us. He uh, does criminal profiling for a living. So this is, I, this to me is a one to watch because it's, it's going to be, a, I think, um, we'll tell a much bigger story. Point on Global News Radio. You, of course, can join us Monday through Friday starting 6.30 sharp here. I'm Alex Pearson on Point, and this is Global News Radio.